Chapter 22 of Links in Rebecca's Life by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22 A Conscience Not Void of Offense. A curious thing is this life of ours. Rebecca, when she went back to her husband's bedside, her pulses throbbing with the thrill of new glad hopes that John Milton's words had borne in them, felt as though she had been lifted above the common affairs of life forever felt as though there was no experience possible to her in all the future that should have power to drag her down again to feelings of unrest or discomfort over trifles. She had gone with her husband to the very gates of death. She had almost seen them open to let him in and to shut her out. She had felt all the awful solemnities of the parting. She knew what it was to say good-bye. And then suddenly, all unexpectedly, those gates had closed again noiselessly and left them together outside. Wonderful experience! How could commonplaces touch her again forever? Much she knew about it. It was barely six weeks from that day of life in death, or life out of death, and now she sat in that pretty room of hers, her face all in a flush, her eyes bright with unshed tears, bright with a flash of something very like anger that refused to let the tears fall. She was having a trying afternoon, just as trying for the present moment as though she had not, but a few weeks ago, been almost widowed, and as though her husband were not at this moment rejoicing in the hourly increasing strength of body and brain. Strangely enough, too, it began about a bonnet. Suppose some prophet had whispered to Rebecca at that sublime moment when she raised her dry eyes and burning face to John Milton's, as she took in the words so strange, so wonderful, that they were almost awful in their solemnity. The doctor says that the crisis is past, and he will live. Suppose, I say, that just then some prophet had whispered, Just six weeks from today you and Sally Holland will have as disagreeable an afternoon as you ever spent in your life. In fact, it will amount to a downright quarrel, and it will begin with your winter bonnet. What would Rebecca Edwards have thought of that? Was it supposed that she could ever think of, care for, argue over bonnets again? But she did. Sally brought her work that afternoon, and came up to the pretty room to be friendly and have a nice little gossip. Worsted work it was. It was drawing near to Christmas, and Sally Holland was one of those who have many worsted cats and dogs and things of that sort to finish about Christmas time. Rebecca's mood was none of the sunniest. She was worried over her husband. He had gone back to the bank again, as she thought, by many weeks too soon. To be sure he had promised to be very careful, to do no thinking, no counting, in fact simply to look around him and see what was going on, and get used by degrees to the sound of business again, and only an hour or two a day. Oh, he wouldn't think of working so soon again. She needn't be afraid. He meant all this, and yet Rebecca foresaw how it would be, and was not surprised when he was gone for two hours and when he went out again in the afternoon, not to work, just to look on. She was nervous and troubled, and she was one of those to whom, in such moods, a crochet needle is a positive exasperation, so I don't know but after all the crochet needle was partly to blame. She watched Sally make it go in and out till it seemed to her she should shriek if it made one more loop, but she didn't, and it kept on making loops, and Sally's tongue kept on. At that unlucky moment she suggested the bonnet question. "'Rebecca, what in the world made you have crimson in your hat this winter? You don't know how unbecoming it is to you. I never saw you look so badly in a hat.' Now when one has spent a reasonable, possibly an unreasonable, amount of thought over a winter hat, and paid a price that, to say the least, is entirely sufficient for all purposes of propriety, to be told that it is very unbecoming is not comfortable. Rebecca was not fond of having her taste questioned, at least in matters of dress. In truth she was not used to it. She had been a very queen among the girls in her tastefulness, even in days of poverty. Why should she not be authority now, when she had plenty of money? For, say what you will, the question of taste is very much involved in the question of purse. 
Her face flushed, and she turned her eyes away from the crochet needle, lest it should exasperate her too much as she answered, "'Do you indeed? I am so devoid of taste as not to agree with you. I like the hat very well. As to why I chose red, it must have been because I wanted it, you know. I have no other guide.' Now, this was perhaps a trifle wicked in Rebecca. I will not say that she forgot she was speaking to one who sometimes was obliged to wear a red garment when she preferred a blue one, simply because the garment that had been red the winter before positively refused to wear out and give her purse the excuse for a new one. Rebecca, in these days, had no occasion to make excuses to her purse. Did she mean to remind her friend of this? I think myself that she was not so unladylike, but Sally took it so. "'Of course,' she said, "'we all know you have plenty of money, and for that reason it seems strange to me that you should choose in such poor taste. It is just the shade of red that is not being worn at all, and the very shade that the least becomes you anyway. I told Maddie that I felt sure you must have been thinking of something else, and the milliner just cheated you into believing that she had put you into the height of the fashion. I said I meant to tell you.' "'I ought to be obliged, I'm sure,' Rebecca said, trying to laugh and to speak lightly, and yet feeling excessively annoyed. There was something so very disagreeable in the way that Sally Holland appropriated not only all the taste, but all the knowledge in the fashionable world, leaving none for Rebecca. She could hardly help putting a sting in her voice. "'If it had been your taste I was obliged to consult instead of my own, it would have been a pity to have made such a mistake. But, you see, I arranged the hat to suit my taste, and it suits it exactly.' "'It wouldn't,' said Sally positively, "'if you knew how unbecoming it was to you.' You see, since Frank has been sick, you have grown real sallow. You didn't take that into consideration, I dare say, but I thought of it the moment you wore your hat. And the red gives such an ugly flush all over your face, exactly as if you had been cooking the steak before you started out. It is real brick color. I don't like that shade of red anyway. Had Sally Holland known Rebecca as well as she might have done after all these years, the absolute silence with which this was received would have warned her that she was treading on very unsafe ground. But there were many things in this world that Sally did not know. She took up the same subject, or a worse one, as soon as she found that she was to receive no answer. "'Speaking of hats, did you not realize what a flat crown you were getting? You got it so early in the season, I dare say it didn't look strangely to you, but it really begins to now, and it is such a pity. I suppose it is an expensive velvet, isn't it? Those broad crowns are really last year's shape. It is abominable in Mrs. McBride to take you in so. I wouldn't stand it if I were you.' Rebecca sewed away with much energy at the bit of blue flannel she was fashioning and essayed to speak without a tremble of voice, feeling in her heart that she was angry enough with little Sally Holland to take her up and shake her. "'Why, Sally, I can't imagine what gives you such overwhelming anxiety about my bonnet. It is all wasted sympathy, too. Really and truly, I like the hat very well indeed. It was Mr. Edwards's choice, and he has some reputation for good taste, I believe. It suits him perfectly, and therefore would me, if for no other reason.' When this young woman wanted to be especially dignified to any of her old friends who had known her husband from childhood, she was sure to speak of him as Mr. Edwards. Sally's answer was prefaced by an exasperating little laugh. "'Oh, Frank, we all know what his taste was as a young man. Still, he doesn't take into consideration that of course you have faded some. It is no wonder, I am sure, sitting up night after night as you did with him. You were certainly a pattern wife, everybody said so, Rebecca. Just the one to be with a sick person, too, so composed and self-reliant. I told Mother you acted quite as if you were reconciled to the inevitable and had made up your mind to bear it with as few scenes as possible. Did you really think he was going to die, Rebecca?' Rebecca shivered as if a cold blast had struck her. This was infinitely worse than the bonnet talk. "'Don't!' she said, so sharply that even the obtuse Sally felt it. That lady regarded her with a curious stare. "'You are growing nervous, aren't you?' she said at last in a sympathetic tone. "'I have noticed it for some time, and it is a pity. Nervousness has such an effect on one's appearance. 
but of course you don't care much for that these days. It is not to be wondered at with all you have gone through. That dreadful ogre of a mother-in-law is enough to make you wild, I should think. A few months before it would have been hard for Rebecca to believe that such a sentence about her mother-in-law would have stabbed her so. Rude, she would undoubtedly have thought it, unladylike in the extreme, but that it would strike her with a positive pain it would have been hard to realize. But during those few months there had been changes. Had not that mother-in-law on this very morning pressed on her cheek a tender motherly kiss, as she said to the happy-eyed husband looking on, "'This daughter of mine is a great comfort to me, Frank.' Could she sit still and have her called an old ogre after that? What kept her still? Why didn't she flash her indignant denial on Sally Holland and silence her mischievous tongue? What but the memory of that miserable day when she had so far forgotten her position of wifehood, her dignity as a Christian woman introduced into a new family, as to allow her tongue to speak to that same Sally plain and sharp words concerning her husband's mother? How could she have done it? It seemed almost incredible to her now, and yet she remembered but too vividly even the formation of the sentence. What was there for her to say? Sally maundered on. "'Carl Watson was speaking of you only last evening. You know, his Nettie has lost her mother with the same fever that Mrs. Edwards had, and Carl said, you know what queer things he says sometimes. He was as gloomy as possible last night. I suppose Nettie's gloom reacts upon him. He said, it was a strange way to manage things. It looked wonderfully as though chance had it all in hand. It seemed to him as though an intelligent being, knowing what was going on in the world, would have left Nettie's mother, who was the very apple of her eye, and who just now particularly needed her help, and taken Mrs. Edwards, who of course would not be missed very much by Frank, since he is married and settled in life, and it would have been a positive relief to you. It is a queer way to put it, isn't it? Could human nature endure that and keep silence? Sally, said Rebecca, and the sharpness of her tone made Sally start and drop the worsted dog, just as she was taking a stitch for his eye. "'Won't you have the goodness to remember that you are talking about my husband's mother?' "'My patience,' said Sally. "'What have I said? Nothing so very dreadful, I am sure. In fact, Rebecca, I don't see what there is for you to flame out about in this way. I haven't said any more. Indeed, I haven't begun to say as much as you told me yourself in this very room. I'm sure it is not my fault that you told me she was horrid.' And Sally put on an air of injured innocence. "'What a stab this was!' That very room, her pretty home, hers and Frank's, sacred to the experiences of wifehood, and she had desecrated it and insulted her husband by talking over the faults and failings of his own mother with such a creature as this. Sally, finding that she was not to be answered, took courage and continued, "'You needn't think, Rebecca, that I am telling any secrets. Everybody knows that you don't live happily with your husband's relations. And you have our sympathy, I do assure you. You needn't think we have turned against you. We haven't. All the girls say they wouldn't be in your position for anything. Nettie Wheeler says it is easy to be seen that you are just a drudge to your mother-in-law. I told Frank myself just a few days before he was taken sick that I thought it was horrid in him to mew you up here and give you no society when you had been used to such a happy home and to having your own way about everything. If Rebecca did not answer this, it was because she was so horrified that her tongue seemed to refuse her bidding. What awful gossip was this! The tongues of the neighborhood wagging about her husband and herself, and the unhappy relations in the family, and herself the one who had given the first impulse to the talk. The dog's nose refused to curve in the right way, and Sally gave undivided attention to it for a moment, and then went on. He didn't answer a word, just laughed in the most unconcerned manner as if he didn't take it to heart at all, though I was real earnest in what I said. Frank always was selfish. My brother Wayne says he was the most selfish fellow in the class, always would have his own way and his own pleasure, and found it hard to understand why other people shouldn't be suited because he was. Men are the most selfish things in the world anyway. When I marry, my husband shan't make a tool of me to please his mother, you may be sure of that. 
Rebecca's scissors slid to the floor with a sudden crash. She arose suddenly. She had gotten the use of her tongue and of her eyes. They flashed. "'Sally Holland, I think I have endured enough. Certainly I have reached the very verge of patience. If you do not know that you are guilty of a gross and unpardonable impertinence in thus insulting my husband and my mother to my very face, it is quite time you were made aware of it. I am not accustomed to sitting quietly and listening to the retail of slanderous reports about my friends, especially about my own husband. You will have to excuse me from further attendance.' Whereupon she moved like a queen across her pretty parlor, swung open the door leading to the inner room, closed it with a slam, turned the key in the lock noisily, and Sally realized that she was deserted. "'My patience!' she said. "'What a perfect little fury that woman is!' Then she rolled up her worsted dog, hastily donned wraps and rubbers, and slipped down the velvet-covered stairs like a velvet-shod cat, and let herself out of the Edwards's mansion in a very excited state of mind." Speaking of excitement, what shall be said of Rebecca's? She never remembered to have been so angry in her life. She paced her room like a caged animal, her eyes dry and flashing, and controlling herself from actual shrieks by the force of will. It quieted into a burst of tears presently, and then she dropped in an agony of shame and remorse and doubt as to what to do on her knees. Her powers of physical endurance had been very much taxed during the season just past, and had rendered her, as Sally had said, very nervous over some things and this view of herself had burst upon her like an avalanche. The idea that the young ladies and gentlemen of their acquaintance were meeting together to gossip about her husband and herself, the idea that they had pronounced upon him as a household tyrant, and herself as a drudge, and his mother as an ogre, could anything be more horrible? Yes, there was something back of it more horrible still. That was, that she had actually started this herself. What was she to do? What should she tell Frank? His eyes were very quick to discern trouble where she was concerned. He would be sure to see that she was flushed and excited, and had been crying. How was it possible to make him understand why Sally Holland dared to sit in his house and coolly discuss his and his mother's character to his wife? Could she ever bring herself to admit that she had so lost sight of his honor as to discuss his mother before such a creature as Sally? Another thought made the blood roll in crimson waves to her very forehead. What if he supposed her capable of discussing him? His faults, his mistakes with Sally. Horrible! He could never think that of her. And yet, why not? If his mother was not sacred, why should he suppose himself to be? Rebecca felt that there was a difference, but she couldn't bring herself to be sure that Frank would feel it. She thought of her own mother, and tried to fancy the extent of her indignation had Frank dared to complain of her to his gentleman friends. But then she told herself, My mother was certainly different from his. That, however, didn't comfort her. Could she expect that he should see the faults in his own mother as plainly as she had seen them? Could she even want him to? Could she have loved him so well if he had been capable of coolly tearing to pieces the nature of his mother who loved him all her life? It was all confusion to poor Rebecca. Only this. She had done a wicked, wicked thing in forgetting her wifehood and the family secrets into which it led her and spreading them out before that queen among gossips, Sally Holland. Another stab thrust her just then. How much of her share in this did Frank already know? Sally had actually dared to talk to him plainly about the sin of keeping her, his honored and treasured wife, in the same house with his mother. What horrible insolence! He had laughed, to be sure. What else would her Frank have done to such information as that from such as she? Since he couldn't very well knock her down, what was there but to laugh? And yet she could well imagine how it had stung him. Had he thought over it, and wondered if it were possible that she, his wife, could have said anything to justify such words from Sally? 
just before he was sick, Sally had said, perhaps on that very evening before he went to the bank. Perhaps that was the thought which troubled and saddened him during those waiting hours, and that had so nearly been his last night. She shivered again over the fearful memory. Oh, if all this had been nothing but pitiful envy of herself and her position, such as she knew Sally was capable of feeling. If she had always proudly kept her own counsel, never for once descending to the level of confidence with her, it would have been disagreeable enough, certainly, yet with what a cool tone could she have checked that rude tongue this afternoon, with what surprised dignity could she have reminded her that she was talking of what she did not understand. How quiet her conscience would have been, with what clear eyes could she have looked into her husband's as she told him somewhat of the silly story, or indeed would there have been any such story to tell? Would Sally have ever dared to hint such things to her, had not her own tongue given permission? Truly, Rebecca had not lived in good conscience before either God or man in this matter, and sharply was it goading her now. End of chapter 22